Welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premier podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there. Finally got the second camera up. Camera. And, and then we got this uh, GoPro recording. And then we got the screen recording because I apparently want to do that today while well, I was uh, thinking about recording tonight. Uh, this is the Constitutionals Podcast. If you didn't know, I'm adjusting my mic. <laughs> also, <laughs> it's a premiere podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, it's a website. Go there. Here we are again. Is that the air blowing? <laughs> I have these soundproof headphones on, so now I, now I hear everything. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the Constitution. Let's, uh, well, hold on. Hold on. I have, uh, more, more recently. Let's see what I've been doing. Let's, before I jump into the thing, let's see what I've been doing. Let's see, what I've been working. And I've been working out. <laughs> Try to catch up on my shows. Not, it's not happening. I just got Xbox Live Ultimate again, so uh, I got Game Pass and Xbox Live, so I can. So today I downloaded three games: NHL. Actually, I had that for gold, but NHL and NHL 19. I didn't even like hockey, but it was with the gold, so great. Uh, I, I don't like. I like hockey's fine. NHL 19. Let's see what else. Uh, Middle Earth: Shadow of War. And there was another game I downloaded that I can't remember for the life of me. I think it might have been Outer Worlds. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, but I'm excited to play all three of those games. It's going to be great fun time. It, would, it cost me $1 to, to to start this plan back up. And then after that, $15 a month. And I will not be doing that because I am short on cash. <laughs> There's somebody's excited to do that. Uh, I don't know why I did the top of the show. Let's move on to <laughs> the rest of the show. <laughs> okay. First story up. This comes from Engadget. Uh, Disney plus app availability. I know I have been talking about it. For a guy who doesn't like Disney that much to talk about Disney so much or Netflix, to talk about Disney or Netflix so much, it's it's just beyond me. So here we go. Let's hop right back into it. This comes from Engadget, written by Edgar Alvarez. Follow him on Twitter, at ABC Edgar. We'll see how this article works out. We'll see how this article works out. That was a pretty good accent. For, uh, that was a pretty good micro accent. Disney Plus and Android TV. Disney Plus will have uh, apps for iOS, Apple TV, Android, and Xbox One. It'll also be launching in Canada, Netherlands, Australia, New Zealand, for now. Then there'll be, it'll be a worldwide app. So we know that Disney Plus is uh, coming November twelfth, and it's quickly that's quickly coming up. It's a it's a fast approaching date. Let's move the microphone here. It's a fast approaching date, and fast fast approaching date, and we uh, we are waiting to see what this is like. Uh, I have said it before. I didn't want another streaming service, and then they took the Simpsons away from FXX. They're going to put it on free form in Disney Plus. And now I'm pissed because I because I only own three three seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, DVDs are hard to come by. Uh, only some of the seasons are on Blu-ray. I believe everything like after we're on eight, they released 18. It has Fat Tony on the front. I believe everything after 15 or 16 has, is Blu-ray. The Who knows if they'll do 19. Because they stopped doing the DVDs at some point because people because the sales weren't weren't there for Fox, I guess. 
because uh, the Simpsons people they'll do uh, they'll do those they'll do the DVDs till the end of time. Uh, but like the sales weren't there for Fox, and then people were just so mad. They rallied around and they said, "We want Simpsons DVDs, dang it!" And Fox said, "Just keep buying." <laughs> and that's why they don't have they they stopped making DVDs. I think like I think around before when the Blu-rays came, they stopped making the DVDs, and then and then they just came back with. I think 17 and 18, something like that. They released 20 uh, in honor of the 20th season 10 years ago, in honor of the movie as well, but they didn't have any special features on it except for one, and it was a it was like an animatic for the, the film, animatic trailer or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I look forward to buying those on DVDs, but until then, we're going to have to deal with The Simpsons on Disney+. Plus. They're gonna have every. They're gonna have original series like the Mandalorian, which is uh, is a uh, Star Wars show from uh, John Favreau. Every season of The Simpsons and Disney's entire movie library. You know they they keep mentioning that. I keep seeing that around with his articles, and I don't think that that's gonna happen. I don't think that there's gonna be all of the uh, the movies. I think some of the obviously the more problematic ones, like where the racist crows and all that, that's all gonna be gone. Anything that deals with race or anything, uh, all of Mickey Mouse's, anything that has Mickey Mouse like being a little bit racist, that's not going to happen. I wonder if Warner's going to do that for uh, HBO Max. I wonder if HBO Max, no, because there's going to be a different service, right? There's going to be HBO Max and something else. Or it's just going to be HBO Max. I wonder if HBO Max is going to have Looney Tunes. And because we know it's going to have a Scooby-Doo show, but it's going to have all the Looney Tunes. Is it going to have Looney Tunes where they're fighting Nazis and stuff? I think Daffy was fighting Nazis or something. Uh, so Disney Plus is going to come to, quote-unquote, your favorite smart TVs, phones, laptops, tablets, and game consoles. The only devices that we knew were Roku and Sony PlayStation, PlayStation 4. But now we know it's going to be coming to iOS. Obviously, Apple TV. Obviously, Android. Obviously, Android TV, which was not... That was up in the air. There's a lot of there's not that many Android TV set top boxes out there, but the most important, the biggest selling one is the Nvidia Shield TV, which is a breakaway from the Nvidia Shield tablet, which RIP, and uh, Google Chromecast, obviously, and Xbox One, which is a surprise to me. I didn't know that it was coming to PS4. So if it's coming to PS4, it's definitely coming to Xbox One. But uh, regardless of that, I didn't know it was going to have console apps. And that's a, I think that's a very important distinction for them to have console apps. Uh, like I said, if it doesn't come to the consoles, then there's no way for a lot of people to watch it, uh, including myself, because that's the only thing I'm thinking of my, right now is myself. It doesn't make sense. Like, if you're going to have a video app in today's age, why not go to the, the best-selling console, which is the PlayStation 4, and the Xbox One, which is not the best-selling, but it's the uh, best console anywhere, <laughs> except for the Switch. On Apple's devices in particular, Disney says, people can subscribe to a streaming service via an app purchase, which is a thing that was, which is uh, bad, <laughs> which is bad for uh, Disney because that means if, they, if people sign up via inside the app, they're going to have to pay a hefty sum to Apple, which is why Netflix, they don't allow you to do that. It's a lot of apps, it's like Netflix, uh, Tinder, I believe, uh, but don't ask me how much. No, but a lot of these apps, they say they don't want to do in-app purchases uh, or in-app subscriptions because ongoing subscriptions like that, they have to pay, you know, a certain amount of money to Apple for that. And Google's having the same issue, so it's not just an Apple thing. 
And then, of course, we'll have di- – excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> I can hear the crackle in the mic. And then, of course, we'll have uh, the Disney, Hulu, and ESPN Plus all coming together uh, for twelve ninety nine in a bundle. So that's going to be great to see. You can also buy this stuff in a year, which is something you can't do for Netflix or Hulu, but you can do for Amazon, for uh, Disney Now, and a few others. But you can purchase the subscription in a, uh, in a year capacity. For instance, for Canada, it's going to be eight ninety nine per month or eighty nine ninety nine per year, which it works out to be like seventy. I don't know. I don't, I'm not good at math. <laughs> And then, of course, Disney Plus is going to expand to different countries. But that's all we got. It's going to come to everything, which is good, uh, even though I'm not a huge supporter of Disney. But it coming to everything is going to be very important for uh, for Disney moving forward. If you I've, if you don't if it doesn't come to Android, I remember when the the Google Store when that started and it had and it well not when it started but when Google when Google's, uh, I don't even think it was called the Play Store. It was just called the Google App Store or something like that. When the App Store and the Google Play Store, when they were when they were just, you know, essentially just two competing stores, because uh, now they're kind of homogenous. You know, there's not that many apps that, that are exclusive to iOS. I mean, if they are, then, you know, whatever. Uh, but, but I remember when it was just like those stores and then, Amazon's App Store, which still exists for some reason, and uh, Microsoft's App Store, you had to you had to develop for all four different stores if you wanted to be successful, or if you just want if you wanted to be successful and you didn't want to develop for all the stores, you develop only for the iOS store, and then that's why there's a lot of stuff that's and it's just easier to develop for the iOS, uh, plain and simple. <laughs> iOS and then iOS is just something you can just you pick up and grab. I it always makes me like whenever someone is handling my phone, they're always I don't have it in here, but they're always looking around like where's the power button? Where's the power button? I I always think about this. I me being I don't want to say tech enthusiast because that's the douchiest thing ever, but me being somebody who is into technology and, and and reads reviews and watches videos and all this stuff, I can look at any phone and then go and just just like I know where the power button is like there's a lot of people like that uh, who just know where power buttons are and know where know how things work know how to get to the cameras and all that stuff Uh, you know but then you know someone who's who has an iPhone who has an Apple watch who has a MacBook but they don't know technology they just have this stuff because it's popular to have and you hand them an Android phone you hand them uh, a Roku remote. I don't know why I said Roku. You hand them, you hand them an Android TV remote, like an Nvidia Shield TV remote. You know, you hand them, you hand them anything that's outside of the Apple ecosystem, then they're gonna like freeze up. Speaking of Apple, the uh, their credit card came out. The Apple credit card came out, and it is notoriously bad for anybody who is poor. <laughs> so that's basically everybody who has an iPhone. Uh, not basically everybody. <laughs> it's uh, everybody who makes less than six figures, I guess. Who is excited to get that to get that card? I saw it and I thought, ooh, boy, you know, a lot of money to Apple. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> this next story is a twofer from the Hollywood Reporter and Deadline. 
Hasbro acquires indie studio E1 in $4 billion deal. That's not the story, but that is breaking news right now. The first story comes from The Hollywood Reporter, written by Stephen Galloway. Uh, as Annapurna, he has his own section on Hollywood Reporter, apparently called Galloway on Film. As Annapurna, tweeter, teeters, why are so many rooting for Megan Ellison to fail? Now, if you don't know, Megan Ellison is the uh, head of, a, of Annapurna Pictures. And I have to look up their movies. But they have a lot of wonderful movies. I did an episode of News Time. If you don't know what News Time is, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, welcome. But News Time is a weekly news show I do over there on YouTube.com slash Equals Comedy. And, it's, uh, and, I, and every, every episode is a different topic. And one, one God, I don't know. Let me see. Now I have to find it. This is, I, should have, I should have had this up. I was thinking I should bring up all the links I need up, but I didn't. Uh, anyway, Annapurna Pictures was started eight years ago by Megan Ellison, who is the daughter of Larry Ellison. I believe that is his name. Megan Ellison is, by all means, a very nice person. And yeah, Larry Ellison. And she has a brother named David Ellison. I believe everybody is in the film business. And uh, she's, a, she's a producer, a big-time producer. However, she has an amazing... Annapurna is an amazing distribution house. It's an amazing production house. And it has some of the best indies of the last... Of the, since its conception. Since everything. It's had, it has some of the best indies. Let me just name you some of the movies. Uh, the Master. Zero Dark Thirty. Spring Breakers. American Hustle. Foxcatcher. Joy, which, you know, uh, Sausage Party, 20th Century Women, Detroit, Phantom Thread, If Beale Street Could Talk, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Vice, The Sisters Brothers, and those four in the last year alone, and they were all recognized for awards, except for The Sisters Brothers. <laughs> if Beale Street Should Talk should have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Missing Link, Book Smart, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Hustlers. There is two more upcoming movies, and they've already released four this year. Yeah, I can count four. So wonderful films. However, just because you have good films does not mean it translate to it translates to good money. Uh, I mean, which in today in today's age, like if this happened, if if this existed, if these movies existed, you know, fifteen twenty years ago. They would be living. They would be swimming in the money. If these, if these, all every single one of those movies, Twentieth Century Women, if Bill Street could talk, Phantom Thread, I don't know Phantom Thread, but if these movies push the, I don't want to say push the envelope, but they do. They really make, they they push the envelope. For, I said I didn't want to say it. God, they push the envelope for for uh, for how good a movie can be. But when Booksmart came out this year, there was already there were already issues. Uh, with Annapurna not making money, but but when a movie like Booksmart comes out and it's got Olivia Wilde attached to it, and it's got two great stars, uh, it just doesn't and it, it just doesn't stack up. So about ten months ago, I did an episode of News Time called the Oh. So when Booksmart when a movie like Booksmart comes out and doesn't do well monetarily, but it does well critically, it just it doesn't help them at all. So anyway, I did an episode of News Time called The Agonizingly Perilous Week of an Ailing Annapurna Pictures. <laughs> Very good. Uh in October of twenty eighteen, we talked about how um, Jesus Chad. How uh 
movie studios like A24 and uh, Bloomhouse, all of these niche movie studios that have these wonderful, critically acclaimed films, uh, and and how they can how they're successful and how Anne of Her is not, uh, and so definitely check that out. I think I should link those on the show notes, please, please, Daddy. Oh God! Oh yeah, this is the uh, this is the intro. The I'm particularly fond of the uh, cold open I did because I did it as a trailer to the Colin Powell movie, but I was shirtless and naked for most of it, which I love. <laughs> shirtless, naked, Sean. I should not uh, go quiet as I'm typing. <laughs> oh, let me just type this down. So apparently. Oh my God, the camera just stopped. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so apparently there are people that are uh, rooting for, uh, for what's her face, Megan Ellison to, I don't want to say fail, but rooting for her to not be as successful. Uh, and I don't understand. And apparently this guy starting this article off, Stephen Galloway, he says, first thing he even says is Megan Ellison is a pain in the neck. She's kind of, she, she, from a reporter's point of view, she's aloof, unconcerned with branding, as secretive as a Kremlin. She's all the worst creatures. Uh, she's the worst of all creatures when it comes to dealing with the press. Someone who has no desire for press. Then why do I admire her so much? Yeah, it's probably because of all the things she does, all the movies that she's been made. And uh, Megan's getting, Megan's getting, you know, talked at like. <laughs> Larry Ellison is uh, he's he's kind of uh, reticent because uh, her dad. For, Larry, sorry, Larry Ellison is kind of reticent because he's been giving her this money. He's been funding Annapurna, and yet it's not churning back any money for him. Which fine, I understand, but you're a rich, a rich mogul, a rich movie mogul, and this is whatever. Uh, her brother David. Has it gets none of the, none of the same flack, and he he owns her. Like I said, David, they're all part of the movie business. David uh, has Skydance. He runs Skydance, which is known for Mission Impossible, True Grit, World War Z, Mission Impossible Fallout. Excuse me. Another uh, life changing. Excuse me, Stephen Galloway. Mission Impossible Fallout is the most life changing film I've ever seen in my life. Mission Impossible Fallout is the greatest movie. I just had to restart the camera. Uh, and so I guess so Galloway in this in this article is basically defending Megan Ellison uh, and and saying that she that she she doesn't deserve any of the any of the the anger that's coming uh, animosity that's coming towards her. Uh, over on the deadline side of things, Mike Fleming Jr. and Dominic Patton have written Annapurna update, Megan Ellison's company nearly out of the woods, last and final offer made to banks. So uh, the issue here is that Annapurna is quickly losing money and they need people to give them money. And Larry Ellison isn't going to be able to fit the entire bill, foot the entire bill. Uh, Here it is. Sources said that Ellison's father, Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison, has submitted a, quote, last and final offer to pay Annapurna's key lenders, offering between 80 cents, 80 cents to 85 cents on the dollar. This is for a debt 
sources place at north of $200 million that the company defaulted on through its $350 million credit facility secured in fall 2017. The credit facility was to be replenished by receivables, which weren't nearly enough to service the debt. Now, this kind of this is reminiscent of without being too on the nose. This is kind of reminiscent of what happened with MoviePass. MoviePass, they had issues with with debt and creditors too, but for them, they were able to survive so long because Mitch Lowe, CEO, uh, who also helped start Netflix. Uh, I think Facebook, uh, Amazon or Facebook was one of those. Uh, he, he was able to, and he and his team, excuse me, were able to get MoviePass to continue by extending their line of credit somehow. But they, I, I don't think, I don't think their credit was as much as Annapurna, but it might be comparable, which is important because. MoviePass was also they've been around the longest. They've uh, probably had a bigger name. Not, I mean, they, I mean, they're done. They've been, they were around for like, no, nah, they couldn't have been long, longer than that, longer than them at least. Uh, but they do have a comparable name. Uh, they presumably had a lot more. You know what? I no, they couldn't have had many more lenders. Um, so maybe it's just the name. But they, you know, but they were also. Upon being a ticketing service, a ticketing purchase service, you you could all. They were also trying to be a movie studio, and they released one movie. They were going to release multiple movies, but they released one movie, uh, which that's weird. Like, what if AMC, the theater chain, put out a movie? They just fired thirty five of their corporate people today, or this week. Uh, what if? What if? Uh, let's see. What if Adobe? Started producing, I don't know, YouTube tech reviews. <sighs> Deadline broke the story of the tug of war between Ellison Home Office and the banks August 7th. After Deadline's story, Megan Ellison quickly issued an internal note that was spread to the trades, which characterized the situation as almost a blip on the radar, telling staffers that her commitment was as strong as ever. She has long been a benefactor in the segment of uh, in a segment of the movie business in need of one, empowering films from Zero Dark Thirty to The Master to uh, most recently the Adam McKay directed Vice. Uh, but contingency plans were in place for a Chapter 11 filing, sources said, and some suspect that Ellison will scale back her ambitions and become involved with fewer projects that was required once the co- that was a yeah, was required once the company put a full marketing and distribution operation in place. And you can kind of see that they they were stretched to the gills, uh, especially this year. Booksmart, Missing Link, Where'd You Go, Burned That, and Hustlers. Uh, one of those did not do well at all, and it's Hustlers. <laughs> and then last year, uh, the super indie, super, super indie Sisters Brothers, the Under the Radar, if Bill Street could talk, uh, the Netflix-bound Ballad of Buxer Scruggs, and the uh, Academy Award-winning Vice. Um, well, I think Ballad of Buster Scruggs won awards, too. And I think if Bill Street could talk won uh, an Academy Award, we'll definitely see. I'm pretty sure Ballad of Buster Scruggs won because it's a Coen Brothers movie and uh, it was very white. And <laughs> people love that. I like the Coen Brothers. I like them a lot. Very white. 
Yeah, they won. They won best supporting actress with Regina King. Uh, Bill Street could talk. Uh, and Phantom Thread, I think, won best uh, best film or something like that. Detroit was good. And Bad Batch was fine. Uh, they, I think, what, and also if I when you're looking at this uh, Wikipedia film, I mean uh, the Wikipedia entry, you can see that every single movie that they release is a co-production, with the exception of 20th Century Women, The Bad Batch. And uncredited in Battle of Bucks or Scrolls. Uh, Book Smart's not notated. Uh, every, but every other movie is a co-production, which means that they're only, they're not putting up the entire bill. They're putting up what they can. But when a movie doesn't do that well, then you, then you see the issue <laughs> when the movie is not doing that well. Then, you know, it could be, it could be the, it could be a movie that just is amazing and it's great and people love it. But it's just not, they are not able to put it in as many theaters as a Spider-Man would be able to go to a theater or a Mission Impossible would be able to go to a theater. You're not going to be able to put a movie in as many theaters like Booksmart. I can go down the street and watch it at the art theater, but not everybody can do that. Everybody, Some people only have Regals or AMCs or United Artists if they're still in business. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's look at Where'd You Go, Bernadette, their, release, their most recent release. The film finishes opening weekend with a $3.4 million gross on 2,404 screens, results that won't change the current narrative. See, if every movie was made a billion dollars, then every movie would be special. That's not part of the article. That was just my thought. And I looked down at my fingers and wrapped the, the wire, <laughs> the headphone wire around it as if I was like a kid in trouble. Like, oh, gosh. Sources in banking circles said that the Annapurna, uh, that had Annapurna been placed in Chapter 11, the syndicate of senior lenders might only have gotten 50 cents to 60 cents on the dollar. And then, you know, that's Larry Ellison said he would give back up to 80 to 85. So it makes some money back, but not all of them. I feel bad for Megan. Uh, she's made some great films, and it sucks that it has to that it's going this way. But hopefully, they are. There is not. It's not. They're not just talking out their butts. There is something in place. And finally, this is the last story coming over there from how long have we been doing this? Twenty-seven minutes. Coming from Variety. Now, this is this is not typically something I do, but before I get into that, I want to I do want to mention one thing because it because uh, it did pop in my head when I kept saying tech reviewers. I uh, listened to a podcast called One A over there on the NPR, and it is hosted by Joshua Johnson. Very great podcast. It's uh, takes one topic, talks about it every day, and then on Fridays they do a weekly news roundup. Joshua Johnson is a great interviewer. I think he is who, uh, who's the guy that does the first we feast, uh, hot ones, uh, Sean, Sean, his name is Sean. He's the bald white guy named Sean. Uh, I believe that, that every, I think Sean needs to stop doing a show period. (laughs) Give it to somebody else. Who's a better interviewer and, (laughs) and his time away. He should listen to Joshua Johnson, or he should go watch literally any host, Stephen Colbert, James Corden, Jimmy Kimmel, Listen to another podcast, uh, Larry Wilmore's podcast. Listen to Jamil Hill's podcast. Listen to uh, Scott Ackerman's podcast. Listen to literally any other. Li- just listen and watch and go look at people. Study them because he's 
uh, hor- Sean Evans, I think that's his last name. He's a horrible interviewer, and I will say it to his face. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's cool. I think he has a lot of knowledge about food, but by God, he's the worst interviewer I've seen in my life. Okay. Uh, Joshua Johnson is, uh, so he, this week he, or today, or yesterday, he, he interviewed Marquise Brownlee, MKBHD, over there on the show. MKBHD is a, I would say, the most popular tech reviewer on YouTube. He, his videos look good. Um, he has all the latest gear and stuff uh, and cameras and phones and all that stuff. Uh, and then that's kind of, he has a, he has a, he's a Tesla. He's he, like, he's made money off of YouTube that no one else has. Um, and that's kind of where the detriment is. He is, <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm going to be very respectful. I don't want to, uh, crap talk him Like I just crap talk Sean Evans, uh, because <laughs> I have, I have a lot of respect for him for this, uh, Marquise Brownlee. But one of the issues and this was pointed out to me. I was reading comments online. Somebody said, and this is like years ago, somebody said this, that he only he only does like the surface level stuff. So like he'll read off uh, the, the, I don't have any electronics near me. He'll read off the, 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 just the facts about, you know, this digital, digital recorder that's in my hand. He'll say, it's an Olympus recorder. It's, uh, it, it holds AAA batteries. It's got a stand. It's got a hold button. Uh, you can start, stop, record. You can erase. You can have five folders on here. It's the, uh, VN721PC. It'll just read all the facts about it. And then he'll essentially, and then he'll do that. And, and, and over the course of the video, he'll talk about what's good and what's bad. Uh, and then for, and this is, it doesn't happen all the time, but for a lot of it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just that. It's just that. He doesn't really get into um, how, how or why or what. It's just like surface level stuff. And he does that, if, you know, for a, a seven to 10 to 13 minute video. Uh, which is great for the person who types in uh, Galaxy Note 10 review on YouTube, and then they see this video, and it has, and it's got a great thumbnail, and it's got, you know, 10 million views, and you can click on that, and it'll be great. But there are people like Mobile Tech Review or a Dave 2D uh, who really get into the nitty gritty. Uh, Flossy Carter, I guess I would consider him this. Flossy Carter is this giant buff black dude who's like in his 40s. Uh, he's got a family and he has a cat that always sits in on his reviews and he has a camera pointed down at a, at a picnic table and he's reviewing whatever the thing is he's reviewing. And it's always like a, like a 30 minute video and he talks about literally everything. And I know that uh, for people like MKBHD or for... Uh, John Rettinger or for uh, uh, Mr. Mobile for a lot of them. It's not, well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to include Mr. Mobile in that. Cause he's, he's really, really good at what he does, but it's uh, for like John Rettinger and KBHD uh, for a lot of them. It's not possible for them to really dig into the minutia because they are doing a five, 10, sometimes 12, 13 minute video. Uh, whereas everybody else, they don't have time constraints or they don't put time constraints on themselves. Uh, but for like mobile tech review or mobile tech arena or whatever it is, they're able to give you numbers down to the T. They're able to tell you why uh, why the screen runs at you know 130 nits and w- what nits are and, uh, and and 
I don't know, and uh, and RAM management, and talk about that for fit for fifteen minutes for, and that's just and that's just one part of the video, and the other the other ninety minutes are about something else. Uh, but that's not really like that. But you get what I'm saying. They're able to to take each part and dissect it, and then bring it back together and see how it works as a whole. And <laughs> you got a lot of reviewers out there uh, that just their their videos look great. And they're they have bright personalities, uh, which is also a detriment. But they have bright personalities, and they have they they they're able to get Samsung or Apple or Google or uh, Vizio or LG to send them the TV, the phone, the keyboard, the what whatever, whatever, the laptop. Uh, and but but you know, it's, that's great. That's one section. But then there's a deeper section. I think is better. Uh, and Joshua interviewed <laughs> all that's to say. Joshua interviewed a KBHD this week, and the a you a, a, a view a listener called in and said, uh, "I want." He had very specific criteria for a laptop. He said, "I want. I don't want to get a MacBook. I want a Windows PC. I don't want a Chromebook. I need to be under five hundred dollars, and I need to do this, this, and this." And uh, Marquise, uh, God bless him, Marquez, God bless him. He said, I don't know what you should get because I really only only look at the high-end stuff. And I think as a reviewer, you don't have to know everything, but I think it is your responsibility to have backups, <laughs> to, ha- to know exactly when someone says, uh, when someone comes to you because you're technically an expert, you're a tech expert, tech expert, technically an expert, tech expert. Hey, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Got to write that down, but I'm on a roll. Uh, when someone comes to you and says, uh, you review phones, I need a budget phone. Or you review laptops, I need a budget laptop. You review bikes, I need a cheap bike or I need the most expensive bike. I think you should be able to cover that entire spectrum. Uh, if I'm if I want to be a television writer, I have got to know how to not just do comedy but also do drama. You know, it it, it doesn't make sense to know one part of the job. And I believe, and I think that any tech reviewer worth their weight would have been able to say. And off the top of my head, I don't even like I. And I'm just a I'm a person who does not have a lot of tech. As you can see, my laptop is five years old. I believe the GoPro Hero Three. I don't even have. I think they're on eight now. I have a Canon T3i. No, I think it's a T3. It's not even T3i. I have a Canon T3, so that's about ten years old. So I have an old Vizio 720p TV uh, that was probably out before I was in college. I, <laughs> I at the top of my head, the guy said, "I want this and this and this and this," and the first thing that popped in my head was he should get a Surface Go, which is their cheap, which is Microsoft's cheapest laptop. Uh, it's, uh, you can, I think it has like four to six gigabytes of Ram. You can do, you can do, you know, so many things with it. And it's, I, I looked at the price when I got to work after, as I was listening to this episode and it was $400, uh, or $500. And that's what the guy wanted. Like it was, it, it was exactly what the guy wanted. And, uh, Marquez just said, I don't know, review only high end stuff. That'd be like, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like if, if you're the, if you're the tech expert, then you should be able to, Pull an answer out. He, like his answer was, I would suggest a Chromebook. The guy doesn't want a Chromebook. You should be able to go. Okay, this is this is an alternative. The or let this is the this is the first answer. The runner up would be a Chromebook. I'm just saying. Okay, let's finish this off. <laughs> uh, uh, this comes from Variety. 
It's a feature story written by Brett Lang and Todd Spangler. I'm not going to read this because uh, I know where it's going to go, <laughs> but I will look at the graph. How Conan O'Brien and other top hosts are tapping into the podcast revolution. Apparently, and so this is brought up because uh, this is brought up a long time ago. Oh, not a long time ago, like a week ago. Uh, Mark Marin. I was watching Conan's uh, show this morning, and Mark Marin came out, and he had a Variety magazine, and on the cover was the feature story, and it had and it had Conan on there, and they're talking about he's a he's created a podcast revolution. Uh, Mark Marin is the he's one of the guys that pioneered podcasting. Him, guy and gal, Jimmy uh, Pardo, a bunch of people pioneered podcasting. Uh, to have <laughs> this always happens to have a trade magazine come out and say this is how podcasting podcasting is now different no these are like these are charted waters the podcasting has been around for a long time you can't come out and say killing eve is changing up changing up television it's not it's doing it's doing great things but doing it in a different way you don't have to oh that doesn't make sense <laughs> still <laughs> it was, I was sounding so good for a couple of minutes here. Oh, the camera just shut off. Uh, I guess I should stop <laughs> at some point. Ow, I hit my lip. Uh, so anyway, let's 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 just, let's look at this. This is, I mean, this is just it's just so stupid. And you don't have to read this one because it's it's not worth it because this is going to tell you stuff that you already know, especially if you listen to podcasts or if you've been listening to them for. You know, 10, 15. <laughs> They're not that old, Chad, for 10 years, as long as I have. I've been listening for eight because I think I started, like, yeah, two years. No, three years. So I've been listening for seven. Right now, this brave new world of audio <laughs> is mostly filled with as yet unrealized potential. It is not. <laughs> You can't make money. Podcasting is different. You can't make money. It's different from TV. You can't make money uh, unless you have a, a trillion listeners and unless you put out a, uh, 17 episodes a week, which doesn't make sense. Unless you're Joe Rogan. It doesn't make sense. I'm not going to finish that sentence. Uh, however, yeah, it's, it's finished. However, a swelling listener base and an accelerating migration of major advertising dollars to the platform have led to an influx of investors and technology companies. It's easy to see what excites them. After all, the number of weekly podcast listeners has more than doubled in the past five years, from 28 million to, in 2015 to 62 million in 2019. Probably this freaking podcast. They talk about uh, Spotify and their acquisitions, iHeartMedia, and all this stuff. Uh, by 2021, it is projected that there will be. Oh, okay. U.S. Pod, U.S. podcast ad revenue in hundreds of millions, uh, ten forty-five by twenty twenty-one. Right, uh, it's in one hundred and six million in twenty fifteen. This year, it's projected to be six seventy-nine. Next year, it's going to be a little bit more than that. Twenty twenty-one, it's going to almost double, close to double. They interviewed Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so anyway, I don't. I truly don't. This is so stupid. Uh, but if you look at AV Club, this final art lab from Marnie Schur, and I don't really, I try not to read uh, essays anymore, but, or what are they called? Think pieces. I call that saying. I try not to read those things. Uh, it's, it's, it's got a phone call, a voicemail. It looks like it's spam. The article says what we don't talk about when we talk about the quote unquote podcast revolution. I don't think. <laughs> 
We're she says, for, let's get this first out of the way. We're not mad at you, Conan, which is true. We're not mad at Conan. Uh, it doesn't. It, this is so stupid. <laughs> but uh, for that variety article to go up and say podcast revolution. Uh, you know, but she's, she does, she does make a point. She says, we're accustomed to, uh, by now to seeing the cycle play out every few months, a star one media outlet will decide it's time once again to educate the audience on this burgeoning medium. And to do so, they typically trace the same tired line from iPods, iTunes to Marin to serial, which serial, I guess, put podcasting on the map, but it's, I mean, that was three years ago at this point. To the ostensibly exciting but largely unmarketable now. Unmarketable, that is, except for content producers like like O'Brien, who signed a, quote, mid-seven-figure deal with Mid-Roll Media to launch his flagship podcast. <sighs> okay. Oh, I didn't know that Mid-Roll, the teams behind some of Konico's podcasting efforts are staffed by alumni of AV Club's sister publication, The Onion and Clickhole. Oh, look at that. Look at him driving the medium forward. <laughs> That's horrible. Uh, it's this is this is again. This is not Conan's fault. This is people. This is for publications like Variety, for for trade magazines, for big essays and stuff like this to come out and say that podcasting is a revolution and uh, this and that. It doesn't. It's it's asinine, truly, and it doesn't make sense for 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 this to even exist. Oh my gosh. Uh, if there's something that podcast reporting could use more of in 2019, it's a good faith estimate of the costs involved. Uh, quote unquote, the most popular podcast can make north of $10 million annually and costs are minimal, often boiling down to renting studio space or paying someone to produce a show. Right. Explains that's patently untrue for scripted podcasts. Well, yeah, that's very untrue. Uh, this is now uh, Marnie refuting what variety is saying, both fiction and nonfiction which must also have a team of writers, editors, voice actors, experts, field reporters, and whoever they can hire to beg listeners to rate them on iTunes. Because even the most successful shows are still beholden to Apple's algorithm, which is true. The Constitutionals has two ratings, and I believe one of them is mine. And that means nothing in the long run. But I was looking at... Uh, if you look at Conan's rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I believe they have, this is last week when I looked, but I believe they have something like six to eight million reviews. Uh, and those are mostly five stars, which means that it's going to go to the top of the charts. If you look at Joe Rogan's podcast, which I believe is the most listened to and highest rated, I think they have something close to 10, I'm sorry, not million reviews. That's stupid because that would be as many listeners as they have. Uh, it's six to 8,000 reviews. But if you look at Joe Rogan's podcast, I believe they have 10,000 reviews. If you look at Marin's podcast, close to 8,000. If you look at, you know, some uh, comedy bang bang, I think it's 6,000. So the more reviews you have, the more you're going to stand out. Uh, and which means also the more money you're going to get from advertisers because, you know, you can go to Hollywood handbook over on Earwolf and they're not going to get, you know, they're probably, that's two hosts, I guarantee from ads they make at least fifty to a hundred bucks. You know, if I mean if that. I don't like a hundred to hundred fifty. Who knows? Who knows? Probably even less than that. It's probably not probably. It definitely is less than that. For someone like uh for people at Headgum, I guarantee Headgum like uh John Gabris's podcast, Uncle Pyre's podcast, they're not Jake and Amir. They don't make, you know, what I could only assume is two hundred dollars. 
from their podcast. Podcasting does not make that much money. Uh, the Doughboys, look at them. They, well, I mean, unless you're unless you're a Patreon-driven podcast, you can't make money. That's why everybody's flocking to Patreon. That's why they do Twitch. That's why they do YouTube. That's why they do Instagram. That's why they do Facebook, Twitter. That's why. That's how you make money. Can you make money on Twitter? Can you make money on Facebook? <laughs> It's worth noting, this is from Marty, it's worth noting that Variety has tweaked his headlines since the kerfuffle began. O'Brien is now, quote, tapping into the, quote, podcast revolution, rather than sitting in the driver's seat. Oh, because they probably said he was driving. Oh, my God, that's so stupid. Uh, anyway. When art- oh, this is, the, this is the ending of the thing. When articles fret about, quote, unquote, podcast overload, parentheses, yes, even our own, what they actually might actually be worried about is a lack of traditional industry gatekeeping. We- yeah, I mean, which is, yeah, see, there you go. See, someone like Conan can get paid $7 million by mid-roll, and he could be locked into to doing a certain amount of uh, years. So maybe he's locked in for two years, $7 million, yeah, two years. Two years for podcasting, uh, and I mean, he likes it. Conan likes it. He's made, he's admitted that time and time again because there's no makeup, there's no prep. All he has to do is sit down and talk to somebody. Uh, and then Andy's got a podcast, and then his right two of his writers have a podcast. Uh, and it's easy. It's uh, before podcasting is easy to do in concept, or it was because before you could just sit down with a microphone and then record. And now you have to sit down with a microphone, a camera. You have to be prepared. You have to have uh, or if you have guests, then you have to have them prepared. Uh, they have to sound good. If they don't sound good, people are going to talk about it. You have to have a fan base. You have to have uh, producers. You have to have someone making the show sound even better than a $500 microphone can make it sound. If you have video, video's got to sing a little thing. You got to you know, chunk out clips. You got to have social media presence. You got to have all this stuff that that cannot fly um, in today's and uh, what what am I saying? Anyway, you gotta uh, podcasting is hard when it comes down to it. Podcasting is difficult. Uh, all right. Oh, it's nine o'clock. Jesus, I gotta go to bed. Listen, that's the Constitution Podcast. If you like what you heard here, head on over to the website seablescomedy.com where there's a couple interviews. I swear on my life, by the time you listen to this show, it, they will both be up. Uh, Kimmy Gatewood and Rebecca Johnson from Glow, both comedians, uh, they're, and they're on Glow. They play the uh, Ozone Nuke and New Zone, oh, Ozone and Nuke, and then the uh, the Bantam Biddies. They play those the, those characters. They're, they're the blonde one and the dark haired one that you see, and they always hang out together on the show. So <laughs> they're in every episode. So check it out. <laughs> Uh, and then what else is going on? Head on over the web. If you want to see a video version of this podcast, head over to the website, see, uh, see as well as YouTube dot YouTube.com slash sequels comedy. See a video version, all 40 something minutes of it. And then you can also, uh, uh, watch news time. I'm sorry. My computer is two seconds away from dying. Watch news time. Uh, this week's episode is the gray market and video game, uh, buying. So there's a website called G2A where you can buy video game keys, but they're not entirely legal. Uh, but no one's stopping them from doing this. So, and they're, and they're cheap. So you can buy like PlayStation plus subscriptions, Xbox one games, uh, all different types of stuff, controllers, accessories. So definitely check it out as of, uh, produced at last minute, but 
I love it. And that's it. That's all I got for you. That's the Constitutionalist Podcast. Uh, my arm hurts. I got an HPV shot today. And I lifted it earlier. And it really hurts right now. So I'm going to go eat some cereal and ice it before I go to bed in 20 minutes. Thank you for listening. I very much appreciate it. You're the best around. <laughs> okay, bye.